Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. It's not too unusual to find people who consider themselves to be people of faith. This definitely is not very unusual as you speak with people at the post office or the bank or at a school or in a store somewhere. It's not unusual to meet with someone or visit with someone, either a relative or friends of relatives or whoever, and people will identify themselves as people of faith. You can just ask, would you consider yourself to be a person of faith? And in many cases, people will respond and confess, yes, I would consider myself to be a person of faith. But what does that mean? I mean, when you start talking with somebody about what they really believe and the kinds of things that are really important to them, you can start to wonder, well, what kind of faith does this person have? What does this person really believe in? What are the values that this person really truly holds to? What are these values and what defines these values? And why is it that they don't seem to correspond with mine? If I consider myself to be a person of faith just as they do, you would think that we would have a similar value system or we would have similar beliefs. But that generally is not the case. A lot of people identify themselves as people of faith and yet their faiths or their beliefs just simply do not agree with one another at all. And this, of course, is especially true when talking about things related to the Bible, because while there are many people who consider themselves to be people of faith, that doesn't mean that they have any faith or belief in the Bible, or they may not have any understanding of it. They may have never read it. They may have never studied it. And even amongst those who have, very few have any understanding concerning what they have had exposure to. And this is revealed even more as you have various discussions about topics, and you discover that in many cases... You just don't agree with hardly anyone, it seems. So what does it really mean to be a person of faith, or what does it really mean to have faith? Well, in order to answer this question, it's necessary to define what a person truly has their faith in. The issue is not whether or not you have faith. I mean, if you have faith, that's great, but you need to define what you have faith in, because it is the object of a person's faith that truly defines the nature of the faith or what that faith is truly about. For example, consider the notion of sitting in a chair. If you were sitting in a chair, then you would be exercising some faith in that chair. You would be exercising some faith that this chair is actually going to hold you up, that it's not going to break, and you're not going to fall on the floor and perhaps injure yourself. You're exercising some faith in the chair. Now, if we were to look at an individual who is sitting in a chair... We certainly would not look at this individual and be impressed by their faith in the chair. We wouldn't look at the individual and think something like, wow, this person has incredible faith. Their faith is extremely impressive. It is so powerful. It is so awesome to look at this individual and see the faith of this person and how they are exercising it by sitting in that chair. Now, I do realize that some chairs seem to be a little bit more dangerous than others, and so we could perhaps suggest that in some cases that could be true. But for the most part, that is not the case. 
for the most part, the issue is, is what do you have your faith in? It is the object of your faith that is truly of concern, not an individual's faith in and of itself. Now, unfortunately, in many denominations in Christianity today, this is not the case. In many denominations, in many churches, many movements of Christianity, it is not looked upon in this way. In many cases, people are actually focused on their faith, not the object of their faith. Instead, they're mainly focused on their faith as if it is the object. That whatever your faith is, that is what defines your reality. And so if you want your reality to be different, then you need to alter your faith. It is your faith that needs to be altered. It's sort of like saying having faith sitting in a chair may be one thing, but it is your faith that is really impressive, not the chair itself. That if you have great faith, then perhaps you may not even need a chair anymore. Things like that, which I personally do not agree with. And certainly if I was to present that to many of these folks, they would not agree with that either. They would not want to say that your faith is more important than your chair and perhaps you wouldn't need a chair. They would not say that, of course, because that would be obvious. But there are other things that they do say that sound just like that. And unfortunately, these things are much more complex than just talking about a chair that somebody might be sitting in. And that's why this subject can be very difficult to deal with. In many cases, people believe that their faith is their power. That in effect, their faith is a force of some kind. That through their faith, they can alter reality. They can change reality. And if not change reality, they can perhaps move the hand of God or direct our God in such a way that he will intervene on their behalf because of their faith and their exercise of their faith. That is a very popular belief today, that people can move the hand of God because of their faith, because of their belief. This is very popular. There are a number of people who are teaching this who are extremely popular. And the reason why is because they're very well supported. A lot of people have an interest in this. There are many people who like this idea. I mean, who wouldn't? Think about it. If you had the power, if you had power in and of yourself in order to move the hand of God or direct him to intervene in your life or in the lives of others, there are many people who would find that very appealing and they would be willing to finance somebody who would teach them how to perhaps exercise this faith to their advantage. And because there are a lot of people who have an interest in that, there are a lot of people who are teaching that, because there certainly is a substantial inventory of people who are willing to help finance that kind of teaching. And, of course, I do realize that there are a number of passages in the scriptures that are used in order to support this theology. I certainly won't deny that there are passages in the scriptures that are used in this way. What I am saying, however, is that I personally read them, I personally interpret them and understand them, in a very different way than others do. And because of that, I just simply do not agree with these theologies that have to do with a person being able to move the hand of God through their faith or through their beliefs or through what they confess or through what they hope for. I certainly believe that my God does intervene in the lives of people. There's no doubt about that, and I certainly would never argue that. My concern is is that people are making the assumption that they can move the hand of God without recognizing that he gets to choose if his hand is going to be moved or not. He's the one who gets to decide what he's going to do. He is not subject to us. We are subject to him. And unfortunately, the direction that many of these theologies lead a person into, this direction that people end up going in, certainly deviates from that, 
deviates to the point where there are many people who believe that they have somehow obtained some power over God to some extent. And I certainly see no evidence for that whatsoever in the scriptures or in the realities of life. Now, when it comes to the subject of faith, it's very difficult to have a good discussion about it without considering Hebrews chapter 11. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, we have many examples of people who have exercised their faith, who were known for their faith, who responded according to their faith. And the Lord, our God, testified of their faith. And so, in order to really deal with this subject, I believe it's very important to consider Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says what faith is. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And, of course, when anybody asks the question, What is faith? Then people will quote this verse. They will quote it by saying, Well, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that supposedly defines faith adequately enough to the extent where the discussion can end at that point. And it normally does, because the person who quotes it has no idea what it means, and they don't want to continue the conversation in order to reveal the fact that they don't really understand what that means. And the person who heard the quote, they don't want to continue discussing the subject much either, because if they don't understand what the person just quoted, then they are testifying that they don't understand the scriptures, because that is a direct quote of the scriptures, and if you don't understand it, then maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe it's your problem that you're not very mature in your faith that you don't have much faith, and to confess that you don't understand what the person is getting at or what the person is saying could suggest that it is your problem, not theirs any longer. And so this verse is normally quoted in order to end the discussion, not in order to start the discussion. It is normally quoted as a means of ending the discussion because nobody has any idea what it means for the most part. But in this radio broadcast, I am going to make an attempt to speak about this in the way that I understand it, from the start, not as a means of trying to end the discussion, but at least as a way of trying to begin the discussion. Now consider verse 1 again, where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now when it comes to the conviction of things not seen, that's relatively easy. There are many things that we do not see, and yet we do believe that these things are. And the reason why we believe this is because of the testimony of our God, because he has told us that there are things that are real that we do not see. And there are, of course, many things in this world that we know are real that we do not see. It could simply be because these things are so small that we cannot see them with our eyes, and we may even have more difficulty seeing them with microscopes or things like that. There is also the wind that blows through the air. We may not be able to see the wind. We can see the effect of the wind as it blows a leaf or a blade of grass or something like that. We can see the trees sway back and forth. There are things that we can see that are the effect of the wind, certainly. We can see these things. So also those things that we cannot see, they have certain effects in reality as well that we can visibly see. It's just a measure of understanding that people will often want to discuss and debate over. And I certainly am not going to get into that right now. Instead, I just want to mention that certainly there are a number of things that we do not see, that we have not seen, and these are things that we have conviction of because we believe the truth that has been revealed to us by our God. Instead, for now, I'm going to focus on the middle of this verse, which is to say that there are things that people hope for. I want to talk about this first, and then I can talk about this with respect to the assurance of things hoped for. 
Because first you need to have some things that you hope for, and then you need some assurance that what you are hoping for will eventually be realized. And from there, I do believe that we can express a reasonable understanding concerning this word faith and what it actually means. So what do people hope for? What What is it that people really hope for? What is on their minds? What do people think about? What do people really value? What are the things that people want to see in their future? What are things that people want to see change in their life experience? Well, these things are relatively easy to define if you are somebody who talks with people to any reasonable extent because people are often always complaining about the way that their lives are and how they would like things to change, what they would like to see differently in their lives or in the lives of other people. This does define their hopes, that they would have hope in change, in change of life, changes in people's circumstances. There are a lot of people who have a lot of hope when it comes to these kinds of things. So let me start with the first item that usually comes up in the conversations that I have with people, and that would definitely be the hope that relationships would improve. In general, that's what a lot of people talk with me about. That is the fact that they are having some significant challenges with their relationships that they have with other people. And these people can either be their family members, they can be their spouse, their children, they can be in-laws or outlaws, or they can be work associates, they can be other people, such as their neighbors. People are often looking for changes to happen in the relationships that they have in a way that would improve their personal quality of life, that this is often something that people hope for. When they are hoping for these things, sometimes they appeal to the Lord for intervention, appeal to him, asking him to intervene in their lives in some way so that the relationships in their lives will change in such a way that they will enjoy them a lot more. This is something that people hope for, and people make some interesting decisions concerning this with regards to what they believe they need to do or what they can do in order to experience some improvements concerning these things. For the most part, what a lot of people end up doing is going into a form of law, or they go into the law of Moses and try to implement that in their life to a greater extent. A lot of people do believe that if they can live in obedience to the law of Moses, perhaps they can inspire other people to do so. And if they can inspire other people to be more obedient to God and repentant from their sins, then perhaps they won't be violating them as much anymore. And that's generally what people tend to do, is they tend to suggest that they are going to increase their faith or demonstrate that they have an increase in faith or try to use their faith as a tool in order to manipulate other people who they have relationships with. And this is their hope. Their hope is is that the more that a person will draw near to the law of God, they have hope that this person will become more loving, more kind, more gentle, that they won't sin as much, things like that. People have hope concerning that. But again, when we talk about these things, you've got to consider, well, what is really the object of your faith? Well, it can be easy for a person to say, the object of my faith is God. I believe that God will make this happen. He will make this work. But the reality is, is that for the most part, people tend to have their faith in the individuals, not in their God, but they are more concerned about what the individuals believe than whether or not God will be inspired to intervene. And so the hope is, is a hope in individuals, in the people who they have relationships with, 
that they have placed their hope in the individuals, not in their God, but in the individuals who they would like to change. They want these individuals to change to improve their own personal quality of life. That tends to be the motivation concerning a person's hope. A person has hope that these things will work, has hope that this theology will apply, has hope that this person will repent and obey, but this hope is totally misplaced. It is placed in an individual. But unfortunately, for the most part, people don't see it that way. I personally see it that way. That's what I see. But a lot of people just don't. They really believe that that is an expression of their own personal faith in God. I personally believe that they are expressing their faith in people, that people can make changes in their hearts. Not that God can make changes in their hearts, but that people will actually do that if they will only believe the things that we want them to believe. Health is another very important subject. There are a lot of people who are experiencing some significant health problems. It's something that we all experience in one way or another. Eventually, we're going to die, for example, and we're probably going to die because of some disease that we experience. It's very unusual for a person these days to die just because they're old and they just die because their whole body gives out. doesn't always happen that way. Normally, it's heart attack, stroke, or cancer, something like that normally takes somebody out instead of just simply expiring because of age. People have health problems. This is a really serious issue, and there are a lot of people who have hope that their health will improve, and they sincerely believe that if they will just believe, if they will just have hope and really believe that God will intervene, then he will. Well, there certainly have been some people who have recovered from the problems that they have had. People do recover. That doesn't mean that God has intervened in order to accomplish that. He certainly has. I know plenty of testimonies that I certainly do believe where he has intervened, but he doesn't always intervene. He's certainly not obligated to intervene, and it certainly is not a reflection of people's faith. I can tell you that there are a lot of people who I know who have been miraculously healed by the hand of God, and I certainly am not very impressed by their faith. It certainly is a testimony of God, but I certainly would not consider it to be a testimony of them as Christians. So it's not necessarily going to be a reality that people will grow closer to their God or they will have an improved relationship with their God or that it truly is a demonstration of their faith because their faith can still be very much misplaced. In this case, their faith is in their hope, certainly not in their God, but in their ability to have hope, in their ability to believe And this is a very popular doctrine. This is a very popular teaching that is expressed in many Christian congregations that if you have health problems, all you need to do is have hope that God will intervene and then you need to continually believe that your hope will be realized, that he will intervene. And if you continue to believe and trust and not waver in any way whatsoever, then he will intervene. But if you do waver, if you have a problem with your faith, if you don't really trust in this hope that you have, then he may not intervene and you may suffer the continual consequences of the health problems that you have. And this is what takes place. What takes place is that some people, out of great sincerity, out of great devotion, they will make the choice to believe at any cost. They will make the choice to truly have faith in their belief, faith in their hope. It is their hope that becomes the object of their faith. It is their belief that becomes the object of their faith. 
They may have faith in their God, but their God, our God, has never, ever promised that we will always be healed of the physical infirmities that we struggle with. He has never suggested that. I understand that there are a number of passages in the scriptures that people refer to that suggest such a thing, that they believe means that, such as Isaiah 53 and other passages in the scriptures, but I don't think that has anything to do with the kinds of physical healings that people are referring to. I just don't. I don't see that. I know a lot of other people do. I don't. If you disagree with me, well, then pray for me. You can do that for me, because I certainly don't see it there. I personally believe that the types of healings that are referred to are referring to the healings of a person's heart. And I don't mean concerning heart attacks. I mean concerning the pain and the suffering and the emptiness that we have in the very core of our being that only he can fulfill, only he can heal Only he can deal with because he created us in such a way that only he can address the needs and the issues and the concerns of a person's heart. I believe that those healings refer to a spiritual healing, not a physical healing. Again, I do believe that he can intervene and I do recognize that he does. But there is no obligation. There is no obligation whatsoever. If that was the case, then we certainly have a great deal of cause against our God, because I know of many circumstances, and I suspect that many of you who are listening to this broadcast right now know of some yourself. There are many circumstances where you have known, or I have known, people who have believed and have trusted and have relied on their belief that God would eventually heal them, only to find out that he doesn't. Only to find out that it appears that he's not going to intervene, and sure enough, they end up dying of the infirmity that they have, of the physical problem that they have. And when that happens, what happens to the other people who believed along with them? What happens to their family members, their spouses, their children, their parents? What happens to them when this takes place? Well, sure enough, a lot of people reject God. They disbelieve in God. They reject him. Now, they may not deny his existence. They may not deny his reality. However, they will then live their lives as if he does not really exist. They will no longer truly pursue a personal, intimate relationship with their God because they believed something that was not true. It was realized as being not true. And so, as you would expect, they don't know what to believe anymore. And that's a very serious problem. This is a very serious problem that I encounter all the time, where people come to me And they expressed this, that they had believed one thing before. It turned out not to be true. They are not yet willing to accept that that is the case. Instead, they are looking for some excuses of some kind. But if they do acknowledge that that is the case, that perhaps they were believing something that wasn't true, then what do they believe now? What are they going to believe now? I mean, just as somebody told them a lie before, so I also may be telling them lies now. What can they really trust in? What are they really going to be able to believe in? And so in many cases, people do not know what to believe in anymore. And because of that, many people will abandon the faith entirely. If not in a direct way, they will do it in an indirect way. They may not deny the existence of God, but they may not live as though there is a God anymore either. This is a very important reality that people struggle with and is a very dramatic consequence of people believing that God is obligated to heal anyone and everyone who has hope that he will. But again, what happens is is that people end up having faith in their hope. They have faith in their belief, 
instead of having faith in their God. This is the same circumstance as having faith in a chair or in you who are sitting in the chair. And unfortunately, people do not know their God in a concrete way as they know a chair. Otherwise, it certainly would be quite easy to have faith in their God instead of having faith in their faith or faith in their hope or faith in their belief. I don't have a problem with faith. The issue is what do you have your faith in? And when you understand this, you can then begin to understand a very important point, and that is that your faith is really not that important. What is important is what your faith is placed in. I do not have great faith. What I have is a great God. And you certainly don't need a lot of faith when you have a great God, because he can be trusted in regardless of the magnitude of your trust. He can still be trusted whether you trust him or not. He still is trustworthy and more stable than the strongest chair. Another thing that people place their hope in is they place their hope in the possibility or perhaps the promise that God will intervene in their lives in some way to provide them with plenty of wealth and prosperity. This is another thing that people have hope in and the reason why is because people tell them that that's something that you can have hope in because there are many passages in the scriptures that are interpreted in that context to lead people to believe that this is the purpose that God has for your life, or this is the reason why he created you, or this is the reason why you are here on earth. The reason why is so that he can provide you with an abundance of wealth and prosperity. Well, I personally believe that that is true to a certain extent, but the way that I perceive that has to do with the abundance of who he is, not the abundance of the creation that he has made. Unfortunately, most people are looking at the creation to fulfill the spiritual needs that we have for love and acceptance, meaning and purpose, understanding, safety, security, respect, these kinds of things that can only be received by your creator. Instead, people tend to worship or serve or pursue the creation that he has made. And people have hope that they will obtain many more things, many more possessions. They have hope that they will be able to receive these things, and they cling to various passages in the scriptures as if these are going to give them an assurance that these things are eventually given and then enjoyed. But unfortunately, this does not happen. This does not happen for most people. I do believe that the Lord may intervene in our lives and certainly provide us with things like that, but it doesn't mean that he's obligated to. I am out of time for this broadcast, but I will continue with this subject, especially concerning the subject of wealth and prosperity and the such, in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net